0: Shalom Alechem, Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Eugene and Daniel Lepkoff. Eugene is the husband of the late Rebecca Lepkoff, the renowned documentary photographer, and Daniel is their son. Rebecca Lepkoff was born in 1916 and grew up in a tenement on Hester Street in New York City. And I'm going to borrow from a bio posted on the Howard Greenberg Gallery, the gallery that represents Lepkoff's work. They write... Rebecca Lepkoff developed her eye under the tutelage of Arnold Eagle, the first of many idealistic Jewish photographers, including Sid Grossman, Paul Strand, and Walter Rosenblum, who introduced her to the photo League and encouraged her to continue to document the city. Like so many left-leaning New York photographers who came of age during the Great Depression, many of them recent Jewish immigrants or first-generation Americans, Lepkoff soon found her classroom and home at the famed Photo League, where she encountered a large group of like-minded members who believed in the power of documentary photography. Her work has been featured in a number of books, galleries, museum exhibits, and is included in the collections of the National Museum of Art, Washington, D.C., the National Gallery of Canada, and the Museum of the City of New York. So, um, Eugene, I believe you were married to Rebecca at the time, sort of, that her career really began to take off. and But
1: only for 72 years. Oh,
0: well, they were the important 72 <laughs> years. Um So tell me what you know, and can you speak a little bit about what drew her to become a photographer?
1: Why she became a photographer? You know, it's really strange. Uh, She was a dancer, and she was performing at the World's Fair uh, back in nineteen thirty-nine. I just read thirty-nine. That's right. And I think she was there for two years. But she made more money than she ever saw in her life because it was uh, she was a union person in, in that situation. And uh, she bought a camera. And uh, I don't know what got into her, but she started going out into the street and using it. And she always had people in her photographs. She wouldn't just take a scene. It was always had to be a a, a person. And if, if she didn't have a person, she would wait until a person came along. That was her style. So what else do you want to know? What were her Jewish roots? Her Jewish roots? Uh, she came from a family I think there were six children. they were Jew- a Jewish family. Her grandfather was a rabbi and uh, taught uh, children, I guess, prepared them for bar mitzvah and so forth. They, they were they were mildly orthodox. it wasn't uh, very strict with them, but... Um, her father was a tailor, a very good tailor, and uh, he either worked in stores where he did alterations or for a while he had his own business, his own tailor shop. And uh, I know that he did very nice work because he, he made a coat for Rebecca once and he made a coat for her younger sister and uh, it was all, always quite... Well done. Beautifully done.
0: You mentioned Eugene, and I've seen her work, which is fabulous. um, That she always has a person or uh, other people moving through the frame, and there's sort of almost that sense of motion of choreography dance. I wonder if there is a narrative construct to the imagery.
2: Um, This is not exactly an answer to your question but it's a thought that I had um, Rebecca had a, a lot of anxiety and and I think it came from the conditions of, of growing up with immigrant family and um, there were problems in the family and her kind of her roots were not s- totally stable a- and the the home wasn't such a great place, so the camera gave her a way of, of getting out on the streets and having something to do. But what I thought is that when she looked through the camera, the camera affected her. It sort of quelled her anxiety, and I think through the camera she, she could sort of embrace the world in a very imaginative, playful, kind of free and compassionate way Whereas anxiety, it's sort of a worry, and you you get kind of small. And the camera allowed her to be a a big person.
1: Yeah, and that's, uh, yeah.
0: Eugene, do you have thoughts on that? I
1: think you said it very well, Dan. Uh, There was a lot of trouble in the family, and uh, for a while there was one boy who, one brother, who was close to her, who was schizophrenic and uh, caused a lot of... uh, trouble in the in the in the family in the home and he was taken away and brought back and everybody was affected by that. I think perhaps one of the reasons that Rebecca wanted to get married was to get away from that home. And actually she asked me, she said, let us get married.
0: Yeah, you were married for quite a long time. How did you meet?
1: uh I told you that she became a dancer and uh, she became a dancer because she was she was in a small dance group that had a leader uh, whose name was Bill maytons and he was very political and they used to dance at uh, p- political events and uh, He frequently used poetry with his dancing, but she was part of that, and uh, he was the one, uh, Bill Matons was the one who got her into the uh, World's Fair, Um, but I met her because I was in that dance group, too. Ah. As a matter of fact, I was invited to go into the World's Fair as well, and I chose not to. that, that's not going to be my life. I'm not going to be a dancer. And uh, so I, I turned it down.
0: And um, how, how did she integrate the photography in terms of daily life and going out? Did she have uh, times that she would devote to it? Was it spontaneous?
1: Well, th- when she began, she also... Uh, participated in that Roosevelt program for young people. Uh, what was it called? National Youth <laughs> Administration, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, she began learning there. And I think Arnold Eagle was there, and uh, he uh, embraced her and liked her, and they worked together for a lot, I think. Um, so. You know, she had some stimulus there, and it was later on when uh, she discovered there was a place called the Photo League that she joined the Photo League and, and met all of the people you mentioned, uh, especially Sid Grossman. She went to class with Sid Grossman for a long time. and. Uh, The classes would last until like 4 in the morning, you know. It'd just go on and on. And she loved the classes and she uh, learned a lot, I think. Uh, One of the things she learned from Sid Grossman was to make a good print. And he said he didn't care if she used up a whole box of paper, but get a good print. And I think she did that. She spent a lot of time uh, printing and dodging and, you know, moving and moving the shadows around. She was good at that.
2: And you mentioned, like, her going out and this and that. But, like, I know that she didn't like high school and she told me the reason she didn't like it is she she didn't like the pettiness of all the teenage competition and and all of that and she dropped out and she went to night school and she liked that much better there were more adults there and she also discovered the public library where she'd just go in and just read book after book after book and she you know she knew nothing except this little neighborhood of Lower East Side and through reading she just kind of educated herself about the world, the world of ideas, the geographic world, history and things she she would have never known about so she was an artist and she didn't care so much uh, about social I don't know, status and stuff, she just wanted to get to work at the things she was really interested in. And she just organized. She was a mother, and she was a wife. But her art was as as important as those two. And she would do whatever she could do to keep to work.
1: Yeah, she, she was a hard worker, too. And sometimes it was very difficult. I remember the first dark room that she had was just like a little closet. There was no water uh, there was she had to block up a window to get it to be dark and she had to carry everything in she carried in water and the chemicals and the jars and the, the enlarger was in there but uh, she just had a high time
0: And was there a community of um, contemporary photograph you know her contemporaries that, you, know, you talk about the Photo League, and I, you know, I think of the painters in the Cedar Tavern in New York and that kind of milieu where there was a lot of energy and a, a lot of cross-pollination of ideas. And was that part of her world as well?
2: This is just one of, the, of, of a few things I want to say. She used to tell me how maybe it was in the Photo League, or I'm not sure, but when she'd get together with groups of photographers, they'd look at each other's prints. And she said there was, there was a, a very energetic dialogue about what is a photograph and what a photograph could be. And they would often be very excited because someone would photograph something, I don't know what exactly, but that had never been put in the frame of a photo before. And, and it sort of opened up some vistas or redefined like, oh, oh, a photograph could be this, you know, like photograph steam or photograph smoke. It was a young enough form that there was like uh, a, a discovery of innovation and excitement about what a photograph would be. You know, she died about four years ago, and there was a memorial for her that was organized by photographers in New York. It wasn't a family thing, uh, but I, w- I went. And um, it, it was at that memorial that I, I realized everyone was, ta- everyone was thinking about the photographs that she took and I started thinking about how the c- camera affected her, how like if you look through the lens of the camera the other way into her and that was and I, and I talked about that and I danced but there were a lot of people I never met, a lot of young women and she, you know she was quite healthy until a few months before she died and she died at 98 and she would walk around the city in her nineties with a camera around Chinatown, she go, uh, and wherever, and, oh, yeah, and, uh, and younger, younger women photographers really admired her, and they came to her memorial, and she was like a, a figure for her, or representing, like, f- what their future could be, or just, they admired her, I don't know if she was their mentor, I don't know if she interacted, but she was an inspiration to a lot of people, who would see her around and 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 get uh, in inspiration and hope, and so she, and I'm sure she liked, you know, she liked that, she liked that position. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah,
0: well, it's nice to have her be part of this this weekend program and to to look at her work and to look at her in the context of that generation and the work that she did.
1: Part of her world was the Educational uh, Alliance, which was a local community center. And uh, she played basketball there. She, she was uh, into the sport. And uh, also she, um, s- she saw dancing there for the first time, and that's really how she became a dancer in, in that educational alliance. And um, she always had activities. She always had activities.
0: So I, I gather from what both of you have been talking about here and, and earlier when we sat down at lunch and stuff that, I mean, she came to photography on her own. She wasn't formally trained. She obviously had an amazing eye. Then she went on to study at the Photo League. Um, what do you think she wanted out of the work? Was it personal? Was um, Did she see it as having... A place in the sort of modern arc of photography, for lack of a better way of describing I, it. I
1: think she wanted a place as an artist. Mm-hmm. She she attained that toward the end. She would say, "I am an artist," but uh, she she was competitive in some ways with her photography. She wanted to sell. She uh, wanted to show her work. She exhibited as much as she could, and. She was happy to get to be known as a photographer. and there was a point when there was no such thing as photo exhibits. And uh, someplace in the village, they once opened up in a -- I guess it was a little bar or something, they opened up and had some photographs on the wall. And that was really a, a new thing. The photographs were not shown that way she uh, she real she realized that and she was interested in having her uh, photographs shown she had many exhibits uh, over the years even up here in Vermont she found a place to exhibit
2: it's funny I, I don't I, I don't know if my memory is accurate at all but one because one uh, I'm an also also an artist. I'm a dancer, and I've tried to make a living by dancing, and the whole thing, it's very difficult and very competitive, and capitalism is a big part of dance now. It wasn't so much when I started, but I always thought that my mother's primary driving force was the taking of photographs. I, n- I didn't ever... Sense her doing business and like promoting herself, I I felt that as time went on, the genre she was in and the photo league and this and that they they became well known, and 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 it came to her, and she liked that and and she milked it and, and she enjoyed it and and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Her passion for photography w- was, was not that complicated. It was simply a, a, it's hard to put it into words. I think if you see her photographs, you can see it. It's just a, a, a relegating of the human condition and of life in a, in a way w- where the vision is, is of positive, of people kind of not suffering but living you know, maybe in, in dire conditions, but living, like, with joy and with...
1: I think she was socially aware. She she knew that people were poor and people struggled to make a living, and she, uh, she had a feeling for the, 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 the lower class. And um, she was able to do things possibly because of that that someone else might not be able to do she was asked to she was asked to take photographs in a in a very bad neighborhood in Brooklyn uh, where there were a lot of gangsters and drugs and all of that kind of thing and they told her that if she went there she better have a policeman with her and she went and just went ahead and took photographs. She didn't bother with the police, and she even made friends with one of the main characters in those gangs. And she was in his in his house, and she met his wife and his child. And uh, she took pictures.
0: She sounds like quite a wonderful personality. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, she she was brave.
0: And she seems like I mean she's she forged. She forged ahead with what she wanted to do.
1: Her
2: parents are Russian.
0: <laughs> you think that explains it?
2: Yeah, something, yeah. A kind of like, you know, you just get an idea and you, t- and you do, <laughs> do it. it. No matter how <laughs> ridiculously difficult it oh. is, you just kind of plot forge ahead. So
0: maybe you've now analyzed me. Thank you very much. No. <laughs> Um, So in today's lecture, Deborah Dash Moore has um, titled the lecture Women Walkers in the City. And this lecture, which is yet to happen, um, looks at um, women who pick up cameras and they go out into the city streets. And it considers um, several Jewish women photographers, Helen LeWitt, Rebecca um, Lepkoff, I'll give her a last name as well, um, Vivian Cherry, all of whom practiced street photography in the 40s. And there's a quote, Life was in the streets, recalled Ida Wyman, another Jewish woman photographer. That's where you were. Nobody thought of it as street photography. Most photographers' photos were out of doors. Do you see that the street was the place that she wanted to find the subject of her photographs?
1: I think uh, the street was really her scene. That's where she wanted to shoot, and she did.
0: Were there particular photographers whose work she really related to or felt that it pushed her in a different direction?
1: Oh uh, she had uh, she had many full photographers that she looked up to, and she she would buy their books and study their work. but I think what she did was her own thing
0: so you were you were both in a home surrounded by her work, I imagine, yeah
1: yes work was around we would see it and uh
2: yeah in the trays in the dark <laughs> room yeah. you
1: know um
2: uh, yeah soaking and hanging them up on the line and then putting them on the um the, the dryer where you can give them a a polish uh-huh. a machine like a special dryer. So we yeah, we saw them.
0: And did you talk to your mom about her work?
2: Uh, you know, I was a kid. And I just took it for granted. It was just like, that's what's happening, and I don't know.
0: I don't think that that's atypical, um, having grown up with somebody who was also in the arts, that we come to think that that's just the norm.
1: You know, there there were other aspects to her. Uh, When we got married, she knew nothing about cooking, and she became an excellent cook. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, yeah. She was a very good cook. And also, she could do things with her hands. She learned to sew, and she uh, had a sewing machine, and she made clothes for her daughter, Tammy, and beautiful little dresses. She made stuffed animals for us. She made stuffed animals, and she made costumes. She made a costume for Jesse, who wanted to be so what a, a
2: dinosaur
1: or something <laughs> like something that. like that, a, <laughs> a Superman. Uh. Yeah. And she made quilts she and made, macrame, and she did she Tai did, Chi. Yeah, she did all the Tai Chi. She uh, studied it herself uh, with a, with a group, and then she began teaching it. And she taught Tai Chi up in Vermont, outdoors on on on. Uh, on the lawn, and people did it barefooted, you know.
0: Just a bit of a pioneer with that, too.
2: <laughs> I uh, uh, this d- don't have to say this, but also my father uh-huh. um, is a house builder, a furniture maker, watercolors, oil paints, jewelry. They were both my parents were makers, and I think you do, as a child, you, since it's your milieu, or just, you know, you don't. Wonder about it. It's just a given. But later on, as an adult, those those things, those aesthetics, those activities, that work ethic, of the idea of making things like, even if you don't pay any attention, it kind of soaks in to you. And it and having an eye, and uh, you know, it just it bleeds in. You don't have to like study it or even have a very conscious interest that just soaks in because you're you're living with it you know but and you're growing up and developing in that environment so this occasion for me and i think for my father is um... was well Rebecca is is, in his life a lot He's, she's in his dreams and and um... it's different for me but um, to to kind of remember like her energy and her like drive and and, and have like her as a younger woman be coming in my mind as a picture and and all of that time and their life together and and share it with you it's a it's a it's kind of a gift
0: well it's a gift for us too and, uh, and we should thank you again um Thank you again so much um, for joining me and for coming here today. I know that um, participants in this weekend program are going to love the opportunity to speak with you um, after the lecture and and, um, to have you add some comments. Um, For our listeners, I would say that anybody who is interested in learning a little bit more, you can try looking at howardgreenberg.com. Howard Greenberg Gallery is a wonderful gallery um, who represents the work and um, there's biographical information. So thank you again for joining us. Would you like to say something in Yiddish before you leave?
1: No, <laughs> no, not not now. I wanted to say that if people want to see her photographs, uh, the, the Greenberg Gallery is more than welcome to take her photographs out of their archives and open up boxes of photos and let people look at them.
0: Thank you, and they were very generous in working with us to allow us... Um, to use her work on um, promotional materials that we had, which oh. is actually what led us to getting together. In
1: terms of Yiddish, I could say Zygesund.
0: <laughs> All right. Take care, and uh, hope we have you back again at, at the Center. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. I'm Sophia Scholson, a fellow here at the Yiddish Book Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 164, Steiner Summer Yiddish Program alums on stage at Der Yiddisher Idol, where Steiner alums Leia Reese Dennis and Michael Yashinsky talk about performing their original Yiddish songs at the 2017 Der Yiddischer Idol, an international singing contest in Mexico City. Sei gesund, be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.